everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today, Mr. Keith Winfield. Hello, Ryan. And uh, Mr. Lee Price. Hello. And of course, myself, Mr. Ryan Parrish. How are we all, Lee? What have we been up to since the last recording? Um, oh, God. Um, slowly putting up Christmas stuff is one thing. Uh, it's, it, it's December, so it's that period of like gradually putting Christmas stuff up and ordering presents, although in terms of presents, like not a lot is getting bought this year. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty much like one, one of my friends is getting some stuff, and it's literally just like I'm having it shipped to a house, and that's the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, don't open the boxes that arrive in like two weeks' time. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, just kind of working on my year-end stuff that I'm putting together. So my advent calendar stuff and um, the 2020 countdown of all the games I've played. Every game I've played. Yeah. Any particular lowlights rather than highlights? <clears throat> Well, I mean, the uh, recent review I published for Falconeer is like one of the definitely the low lights is on there. So, yeah. yes, it's a shame we really, that. that yeah, showed a bit of promise, but shame mm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, that's that's mainly what I've been doing. So, yeah. nothing too super exciting this week, unfortunately. Yeah. So, uh, what exciting videos have you put up of your advent calendar so far? Any highlights you want to point the audience towards? Uh, well, I think some of the favourites so far. Um, I've definitely enjoyed putting up uh, Day 5 and Day 9 are certainly games that are very much my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of don't want to give away too much. I kind of want people to kind of watch the video and find out in the intro. Yeah. And stuff. Um, you know, opening the door on the advent calendar. But Day 6 as well is one where... Mm-hmm. Kind of allowed me to just ramble on about anything, uh, so I think that one came out as a fun one as well. So mm-hmm. you know, it's a so, real mixture of games they're putting out this advent calendar. It is just hitting surprise me on Xbox Game Pass on PC and yeah. seeing what comes up. Yeah, I mean, actually, got surprised with the depth of what games they've got in there. Mm-hmm. They expect them all just be it's Halo and Gears of War and yeah. possibly the other three Microsoft Studios titles that are available. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be quite a bit of a variety. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was honestly expecting to get a Halo game just right out of the gate because they've put like, the Master Chief collection on there now and it's like, yeah. okay. Um, but so far, it's been like on one of the days, there's one of the Halo Wars games and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit different, the Halo Wars games versus the mm-hmm. Master Chief franchise. I think you're trying mm-hmm. to fill the Command and Conquer mm-hmm. hole in everybody's hearts, but. <laughs> Not really a genius, but coming somewhat towards it. Yeah, uh, although with that video, most of it was cutscenes. Yeah. So <laughs> I haven't really got much of an opinion on the actual game. Sounds like a modern Halo game. Mm. <laughs> but um, anything otherwise like, exciting on the horizon? Any other uh, days that 
So this, so yeah, um, where's my list? <laughs> uh, I think day 16, when that goes up, was definitely another one where it's a kind of game where I'm just kind of doing very repetitive things in the game. So I've just, my mind just wandered off to tangents and that, <laughs> I think that ended up being quite entertaining. Uh, on one of the days, um, trying to think when this, oh, but the fact the video, this video should be out by the time this podcast comes out. One of the days you get to see me try and run a spaceship. <laughs> that one there. Goes probably about as well as you'd expect. Yeah. <laughs> all the buttons. Press all the buttons simultaneously. One of them will work. <laughs> most of my strategy was panic and click anything that seemed vaguely important. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So go to Bob the Pet Ferret YouTube channel, check all those out. And probably should mention while we're there, we're also doing the Geeky Premier Advent Calendar, which is second year now. So, but even more tap this year. <laughs> so we're doing Playmobil, we're doing Lego, we're doing Pokemon and Hot Wheels and Hasbro Microfuls. So mm-hmm. check those out. Talking of Playmobil calendars. Keith, how are you getting on with the construction of your uh, <laughs> Hill Valley set? I, I'm roping in professional help. Because <laughs> um, what I've discovered is I'm not that great at doing cardboard construction of very intricate cardboard cutouts. Because <laughs> it's like insert flap X into slot Y and that's flummoxing me at the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm going to bring my partner in uh, who's a, who's more adept at folding paper than I am? So I'm I'm going to get adult supervision with <laughs> putting that set together, um, because there's there's something I want to do with the whole set for the kind of like day 25 Christmas Day um, mm. video yeah. that we're gonna, that we're going to do. So that's going to be um, a little bit elaborate. I don't know whether I'm kind of doing. Uh, or thinking I'm going to do something that's going to be almost impossible to do, but we shall see. I've got, I've got a few days, but... Um, I think we've all yeah. gone kind of elaborate with showing off our sets for Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, we've, 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 we've got this great stuff, we're going to do something with it. It's kind of funny. Well, I mean, mine is particularly awful, and, but <laughs> kind of, I can kind of get away with it. it... I, I quite liked it, I thought it was pretty good, but uh, yeah. people are going to have to wait it. I have, I have not seen Ryan's contribution yet. But yeah. I've, I've had a sneaky peek because I've, I've got to cut, up, cut them all together. Yeah. Um, but Lisa's yeah. been particularly excellent as well. <laughs> most, Lisa's most... the bar really high, and I'm like, <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, I, mean, I have knocked it out. In my case, it's literally just traced over something. So, you know. Yeah, but still, you still make it look really good. <laughs> But the other thing from from watching your advent videos, Lee, is I, I want to do a little mini game, develop our own mini game. I don't know what, like some point to click on, just so you can do the majority of the voiceovers. <laughs> <laughs> most of the most, of the, what I've enjoyed most is you reading out the text on screen, but doing it in character with the voices. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's always fun, even though I've got like three accents I can do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you've done. You've gone There's like from, four like, variants know. on Cockney in there. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, Keith, what have you been up to the last few weeks? Well, having Lee go, just get stuff shipped directly to the person. I've realised I've gone about this completely the wrong way by having stuff shipped to me, which I'm going to have to repackage and ship somewhere else. So I missed a step there. I should have um, 
should have done the same as Lee and gone, don't open the box. But I didn't <laughs> think that ahead. Um, then I've just been kind of catching up with some comics in physical and digital forms. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a comicsology sale the other day, so I've managed to get the first volume of the Marauders book that um, Jerry Duggan had done, uh, which is quite good. I've quite enjoyed that. Um, I'd seen some kind of previews of it, but I didn't pick it up in singles. So I waited for the um, trade of that. Yeah. And then it's just been catching up on stuff on um, the old Netflix and Amazons and um, Disney yeah. Pluses. Any... So I'm kind of up to date with most things now, apart from Truth Seekers, which I'm holding out on because I want to eke it out. Um, that's the new Nick Frost and Simon Pegg series that went out on Amazon Prime, which is really good. I'm much preferring it to either of the um, haunted um, house things that were on Netflix. Yeah. It's quite genuinely British in its kind of spooky and horrorness. It reminds me a lot of kind of the old Hammer Amicus um, spook films of the yeah. years gone by. So I've not actually heard much about this. What's the year premise? Are they ghost um, hunters or? Yeah, basically Nick Frost plays a character who is a um, broadband internet installer for a company <laughs> called Smile. <laughs> um, which is kind of managed by Simon Pegg's character, who doesn't yeah. have an awful lot to do in the series. He kind of appears now and again. Yeah. Um, and it, whilst they're out and about at various locations, um, Nick Frost's character uh, does vi- videos on YouTube uh, of various haunted locations. So he's kind of into the kind of British haunted stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then other things happen. New people come into his um, into his little group. Yeah. Uh, things things ensue, uh, and it's really it's just really good. It's got Malcolm McDowell in it. Um, it's got Julian Barrett's in it, uh, and a couple of the characters and names I've forgotten, but they're relatively um, kind of new to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really good. It's really well done. The music's ace. A uh, guy called Robin Foster has done the music, which I really like. Um, but it's a good show if you like that kind of British weird kind of sapphire and steely um, kind of you know. Yeah, so, so is it more humour or is it more drama? It's, it's both parts. It's both parts. That's the joy of it. It's kind of scary, but it's also funny. Yeah, because I was thinking it sounded very Garth Marenghi's Dark Place when I first heard. Oh it. no, it's not. As, it's not as. It's not as outright ridiculous as that. It's actually. It's actually quite a serious drama. Yeah. But with with funny elements in it, um, so it's really good. So it, it's got stakes. You know, it's like you are kind of concerned for the characters themselves. See, it seems like it's kind of a good year for like. British-made ghost hunting type stuff because we've got phasmophobia in terms of games because that's hit it off in a big way and that's basically just most haunted the video game. Yeah, I think it's something about Britishness. In, at times of trouble, we turn to uh, kind of the supernatural or magic, um, mm-hmm. which is why I think kind of the, the British writers who are doing kind of the magic-based comic books, so kind of like Cyberspiria with Hellblazer. Um, and Kieran Gillen with the kind of once and future stuff, stuff that's kind of slightly mythical or supernatural. I think mm-hmm. Britain seems to kind of embrace that um, magical element of its history um, when we've got kind of like hard times. Yeah, definitely. Any other exciting things? Any purchases for the self? Mm, yes, I did. I did try to treat myself. Oh, it's bad. I treated <laughs> myself to the reprint of the Angry Planet. <laughs> which was a um, comic series that ran in Tornado in the late 70s. Um, so Hibernian, Hibernian, I think is the name, they're doing some of the British um, Treasury comics. So this is like a, a nice, perfect bound 90-page, the complete 
um, Angry Planet stories and, and with, with the art yeah. by um, uh, Massimo Bardinelli, who yeah. did some great stuff in 2008. He did the original Dan Dare uh, and kind of Mean Arena and stuff like that. And his artwork is really just brilliant. Um, but it's been a long, long time since I've read that series. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, looking, kind of catching it again. So it popped up. I think they yeah. only did a run of about 500. Yeah. Um, so I managed to grab a copy of that. Yeah, the only reason I ask you each week, each recording, is it's the only way that Maddie finds out what's coming through the letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the big, that's the big bonus of it being Christmas. Is when boxes turn up, you can go. That, that's nobody can see what that is. It's, what yeah. is it? it's not as obvious when a box turns up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Any other time of the year. Like, what's that large envelope? Yeah. There's not more comics. Although there is, I did. I know I did something else. You just remind me. I think Maddie's was... due to arrive this week at some point. If you got the Duncan Jones Maddie kicks. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've got, I think I've got hardback of that. So I'm not sure when that's going to ship to the UK. But I did. There was another um, Facebook people that I follow. They've done some kind of reconstructions of old comics, uh, and they've done a recreation of the Jack Kirby Black Hole comic. Nice. Which the cover is is beautiful, um, but that was like. The money you paid for that went to a good cause, which I can't recall at the moment, Bob. I'll pick that up. So when I get that, I'll kind of mention it again. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I look forward to seeing that. How about yourself, Ryan? What have you managed to do in the last two weeks? The last two days have been watching my pre-installed Cyberpunk 2077 countdowns. I'm watching everybody <laughs> else who has physical copies playing it annoyingly somewhat. Yeah. It's kind of a weird situation where other console kiddies have been able to play it straight away. Whereas if you bought it directly from good old games, who is owned by CD Projekt Red, who built the Cyberpunk game, you can't play it until midnight tonight at the time of recording, which is somewhat annoying because I'd like to done a quick review for the show. But from the uh, the splash screen, which says go back to sleep until December the 10th, can't really comment much on that. <laughs> Do you, will you still have the same thing as like the console guys and have a 43 gigabyte patch as well? I've already installed my patch. It's all finished. Uh, I'm ready. So there's like a download. I think it was like a 60 gig download and then like another 10 gig patch. One of the joys of having a nice, decent PC, which can do a bit of gaming on the side, means it's powerful enough to run it and I've got enough space to store it on it. <laughs> and like the new consoles, where it's probably just going to take up, what, at least 10% of the hard drive space? Uh, yeah, I mean, I worked out that you can store eight Call of Duties on the PS5. Mm-hmm. I think that's how big its hard drive is. Yeah. It's just like, it's taunting me now. I'm just sat there watching it. It's like, it's all installed. It's ready to play. <laughs> no. Oh. I'm just wondering then, how, how how many cassette tapes it would take to put Cyberpunk 2077 on? Oh, God. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many floppy disks? Yeah. Three, three inch floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't they want like 1.4 meg or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it'd be a few thousand. Yeah, I think. yeah, that'd be just switching discs. <laughs> just, just imagining those those old cases that had all the discs in, and just you've got like a stack of them that goes on for for days. <laughs> this one of 125,000. <laughs> the worst would be if like they asked you to install them in like out of order, so you've got to like go back into the stack. <laughs> like, oh god, where's where's two hundred and fifty seven? You have to play it in in disc order as well. So you play like ten seconds, and it's like now insert the next disc, and you've got to you've got to whatever whatever it is you've got to you've got to use the disc for that. That'd be quite. Nice. And then the day one patch puts like 
disc 256A, disc 256B. <laughs> then yeah, you have to reshuffle. They want patch rides in a lorry. You have to reshuffle them all. <laughs> It'd be good to hear what you think of it, Ryan, because it's, it's, it's a game I've, I'm very interested in. Yeah. But whether, I, whether I'll have the time to invest in it. Yeah, considering the amount of controversy, and it's been, what, I think eight years since the original launch trailer now? We're nearing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been some bad news this week for people who have epilepsy where there's certain scenes which might trigger trigger seizures off. So I think they're trying to fix that, but that'll be coming in a later patch. But already stuff that's going wrong, unfortunately, for them. But it was exactly the same with Witcher 3, where it took at least two to three months to bed down. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also like we've got the usual thing of because it's so hyped um the few sites that have given it less than stellar reviews are just like getting screamed at by people and it's like it's like there's like two or three games that have got less than eight out of ten calm down yeah yeah i mean it's it's getting i think it's 91 on metacritic the last time i checked yeah so it's like pretty much universally claim but some Mm -hmm. people are not basically unless it's 10 out of 10 and don't forget these are early review copies that went out without most of the day one patch most of the like negative reviews I was seeing were even saying that like a lot of their problem with it was game breaking bugs. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, if you're gonna get a bug that break that crashes the entire game, of course you're gonna give it six out of ten. Yeah. Of course you are, because your experience is gonna be marred by that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we need to have a bit more perspective on stuff like that rather than just immediately jumping to yeah. screaming at people. But I think yeah. this is a problem with AAA gaming to go into a slight challenge at the moment. It's a massive problem with AAA gaming, in my opinion, where we've got to the stage now where a game won't be fully complete until the day of launch, which is mm-hmm. what we've had in this situation. So how can you review an unfinished product? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if the reviews aren't out for day one, people complain about that too. And it's... Yeah. It's... it's like a self-defeating cycle of yeah. uh, annoyance. Yeah. They forced, committed themselves to releasing this year... I mean, they've already yeah. delayed it three times yeah. this year anyway. So, And I don't think they would have been able to delay it anymore and keep their investors happy. So, unfortunately... Well, a lot of it is like because you've got the end of the financial year in like April, like March-April yeah. sort of time. So, a lot of the big companies, they need their games out by then. Yeah. It's why if a game ends up getting delayed at the end of a year because they can't get it out for the Christmas season, it's out in February, March, that sort yeah. of time because that's the financial year and they can just sneak it in for the investors yeah but they're a small team as well which people don't seem to forget as well they i mean they are doing some very ambitious game but cd project rep is nowhere near the size of like ea or ubisoft or or any of those giant studios which have hundreds hundreds of people they can throw at a game to get it finished and polished in time i mean i can make the argument that they could probably stand to a Hire a few more people yeah, to avoid yeah. to avoid crunching the ones that they have, but yes. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's finding that balance, isn't it? But yeah. I am looking forward to it. I am expecting at least a few books to be there for day one, and I'll try not to let it mar my experience. But we we can't have anything worse than Assassin's Creed Unity, can we? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the game that shipped without faces. Yeah, just hair and eyeballs and mouths <laughs> suspended in midair. Just here, here is your nightmares. Yeah, and that in was revolutionary from... France. Yes, and that was Ubisoft as well, so they had definitely no excuse. I mean, Ubisoft, like they've got how many teams across the world at this point? Yeah, because they've been making the same game for ten years now. Yeah, <laughs> which is basically climb up something, have a nose, 
go and find what the interesting spot is. So I've been playing a bit of Far Cry 5 whilst waiting for Cyberpunk just, just to get me in the mood a little bit, just to get me back into that open world gaming scenario because I've been playing quite tightly scripted experiences. Yeah, it's not changed at all since Far Cry 3. It just basically looks slightly better and cougars attack you more often. But that's pretty much the only two points I've pulled out of Far Cry 5 is. Vehicles blow up much easier, cougars attack you more often, and I'm talking the animals... <laughs> Not, not the other type of cougars, <laughs> but everything yeah, else. No, that that would that would be a twist. Yeah, but everything else is pretty much exactly the same. I mean, I've been playing like Black Flag, Assassin's Creed, and in terms of bugs, that's got a few of its own. Because yeah. like within one play session, two missions I had to restart because an important character, an important target, just didn't load. Yeah, to existence. Well, yeah, I had a bit in Far Cry Five actually where I was trying to re- liberate one of the outposts where one of the enemies had fallen through the floor, and because I couldn't kill him, I couldn't liberate the outpost, because he'd fallen through the floor, so yeah. I was shooting the floor and couldn't kill him. There's one particular mission in Black Flag where you have to go through this area, and you have to clear out each area as you go go through it. Yeah. And in the one area, because I killed one guy before I found all the other guys, one of the guys just was like, I'm not going to load in. Just not going to exist. Yeah. <laughs> just have killed one of the one of my friends already. So I was just like wandering around this empty space, and the only thing to interact with was a crocodile. And it's like, well, I'm I mean, pretty sure that's not my actual target. So. <laughs> you could do an assassination on him. I could, but it wouldn't advance the game in any way. <laughs> you never know. We do, we don't know all the history of that. That, that no, no, period. the true master of the Templars. It's this single crocodile in the caravan. <laughs> that's, that's the real game. That's it. You discovered they'd hidden it so well. Other than that, not really much else at the minute. Just work and staying indoors. Loving Mandalorian and Discovery at the minute. They're both on pretty highs. Pretty good highs. The last episode of Mandalorian was, I think, my favourite of the series so far. And de- definitely had a lot of things going on. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good show. We're being spoilt really with the genre shows at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I know it's not Lee's particular cup of tea, but mm-hmm. I think it's definitely worth, even if you're a casual Star Wars fan, watching it. Yeah, if you just think of of, of uh, Baby Yoda as a as a Pokemon, and the little ball he flies <laughs> around in as a Pokeball, I and mean, the Mandalorian is kind of like Ash Ketchum, you'd be alright. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like the Mandalorian, everything I've heard about it it sounds like it might be my kind of show because he's kind of like, you know, a lone warrior wandering and encountering different people and all this kind of stuff. And I tend to like a lot of those kind of almost adventure type stories, which is yeah. how it comes across to me. It's, it's very Cowboy Bebop in feel, mm. if you've ever watched mm. Cowboy Bebop. I've kind not of, seen it, but yeah. Yeah, definitely, again, one of the best animes of all time. Oh, that was the other thing. I've, I've had my vinyl soundtrack for that delivered. It's one of the greatest show soundtracks of any time. If you've never heard it, go on Spotify or Amazon Music. Find the Cowboy Bebop OST. It's some of the funniest music you can find. Yeah. And I think the enti- is it the entire series is on all four? All four, and I think Netflix as well at the minute. So yeah, it's, definitely, more... it's been a while since I watched it. I think the last time I watched it was when it was part of the Toonami yeah. um, show, when Cartoon Network became the adult channel in, in the end of the night. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen it. When they used to show things like there was another one called uh, Big O, oh, yeah, which I liked the, as well. The giant robot. Toon Army yeah. used to have like some of the best shit stuff on late night. Sorry, Is I was Captain Picard aboard the Starfleet vessel Enterprise. No, I'm just checking to see if it's on. And no, Netflix autoplay ads go away. <laughs> 
the ads will come eventually to all of us. Yeah. Much like YouTube at the moment, which seems to be all ads, no content. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually like making me wonder about purchasing YouTube Premium, even though I know that's the trap. It's like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing on the tutorials where you, you go into a YouTube tutorial and you go, right, I just want to get to the point where you tell me how to do this thing. I, all I need to know is which three keys I've got to press. And, and you get to the the video and he goes right so at this point you now need to press these keys in order and an ad will play right then and just go <laughs> that's when they're listening for your microphone key they know yeah. um, and then you skip forward a bit and then another ad will play and it's like why is there five ads in this in this in this tutorial on how to load ink into your printer <laughs> but um double checking it's no longer on netflix but it is on all four in the uk so, as well as primal so if you're on all four and you want to watch gendy totowski's primal yes um Good stuff Watch those. Yeah, I think they have a deal with Cartoon Network at the minute. I think Channel Four. Yeah. Some good stuff on there. Cowboy people, definitely check it out. It's up there with Neon Genesis Evangelion for my favourite two anime series. Mm-hmm. Mainly due to that amazing soundtrack. So really check it out. And now it's time for that part of the show where I take a look at some of the comic books coming up in the next couple of weeks. First up, we have Headlopper number 14 from Image Comics, written and illustrated by Andrew McLean. The Headlopper, with Agatha and her friends, locate the lost hammer of Anakpulth. But much to their dismay, it has fallen under the watchful eye of the deadly Gorgon Medusa. This book is always quarterly and always oversized, and if you love a bit of sword and sorcery fantasy, I highly recommend you check out this book. Then we have Once and Future number 14 from Boom Studios. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Dan Mora. Grand Duncan and Rose are on a new quest to learn more about Merlin's plan when they come face to face with another mysterious knight of legend. But if they want to track down the powerful Nimue and stay one step ahead of their enemy, it seems the trio will need to play this knight's game whether they like it or not. I'm really enjoying this series and Gillen's look at the British folklore is a really entertaining comic. Also from Boom Studios we have We Only Find Them When They're Dead number 4 which is written by Al Ewing with art by Simone DiMeo. The final showdown between Malik and Richter has begun on the surface of the god they've discovered. But will Malik survive long enough to find a living god or has he doomed his crew to an unimaginable fate? This widescreen sci-fi adventure is really good and Al Ewing is absolutely on fire with all of the books he's writing at the moment, so do grab a copy of this. And finally for that week we have from Marvel New Mutants number 14. This is written by newly arriving writer Vita Alia with art by Rod Rees. Lost in the shuffle on the edge of Krokoan society, the New Mutants are loose in the wild hunt, going big, blowing things up and combining powers to see who gets crowned king of the mountain. But something lurks in the trees, something old and hungry and its favourite prey is Young Mutants. There's a lot to love about this book. It's a great addition to the X-Men range, and it's always good to see the New Mutants, especially for me, the wonderful Warlock. And the only book in the pool list on the Wednesday before Christmas is also from Marvel, and it's Excalibur number 16. This is written by Tinney Howard, with art by Marcus Toe. Verse 16. The sword is sheathed, 
The team is left change in the aftermath of X of Swords, and some things lost cannot be replaced. A lot of interesting things happened to the Excalibur team during the X of Swords crossover, so it'll be interesting to see what the future of this team and Captain Britain holds. And that's it for the comics leading up to Christmas, and now back to the main show. It is time for setting the scene, and it's a head-to-head this time around, I think. Maybe one of us forgot to do the picture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and Matt also did remember to the picture, but he is unfortunately not able to join us tonight because of work-related stuff. Who's going to go first? Keith, do you want me or you? Uh, you. I've, I've <laughs> loaded my picture into the chat, which, although I'd been thinking about it since the episode uh, where it got picked as diehard as your... Um, Christmas movie. <laughs> it's your, it's your uh, movie of choice. So I made the prop. There's one prop in there. Um, which I had to make. So I made the prop a few days ago. So that's been just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the actual taking of the photograph itself, I did about two hours ago. So like, <laughs> I, I know what I've got to do and I'm going to, and I'm going to do it. Uh, so I managed to just scrape it in before the, um, the end. So, um, the scene I've picked, cause I thought this one, this Die Hard's got a lot of scenes that people would, um, instantly think of when it yeah. comes to, um, that, that movie, lots with lots with John McClane. So what I've actually done is I've picked uh, the moment after uh, John kills um, some of the terrorists and manages to get uh, his machine gun. And he scrawls the words, now I have a machine gun, ho, 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 on the sh- sweatshirt of one of the terrorists uh, and sends that back down to Hans and his team so he can find out that John is now in a position um, to, um, to fight back, rescue yeah. everybody. Yeah, to fight back. Um, so I've basically used a, a large teddy bear um, on a stool with a T-shirt where I've written in felt tip pen, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, I have slightly used Photoshop this time uh, because I didn't have a Christmas hat that would fit him. <laughs> so I had to Photoshop a Christmas hat onto um, onto the actual picture. So the, the background is the usual back-projected malarkey mm-hmm. uh, but the Christmas hat has actually been photoshopped in because I couldn't find a Christmas hat and I wasn't prepared to go out shopping for a Christmas hat for a giant teddy bear to wear mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I thought long and hard about which scenes do do I do the fire hose jumping off the roof do I do it looking out the broken window do I do the scene with the tree do I do the fountain at the start but then I it's the most iconic scene isn't it it's John McLean crawling through the vents so that, that's my attempt there so for this, I used my IKEA storage container, which was one of the shelving units. Um, lots of kitchen foil, much to the annoyance of my wife. Uh, one of my studio lights is behind John McLean to give the back projection to get the lighting right for the scene. So I did double check. And a tea light to replace, uh, one of the LED tea light to replace is a Zippo lighter. To give it a little bit more of a flair. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, I do. I do like that. It's almost indistinguishable from the original. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the fact that the top of his head's missing because it couldn't find a picture of him getting out to print But you know, it's it, Bruce Willis is well known for his extremely flat head. <laughs> um, so you know that's that's quite because uh, yeah. what people don't realise is the top of his head in most films has been CGI'd in <laughs> um, because obviously he got a, got a bit of a complex about his flat head 
Yeah. Uh, so most of his films, he's got it CGI'd in. So you've actually captured him in his original form there. That this is what Die Hard would have looked like um, without the extensive <laughs> CGI additions. Um, yeah. To that's that's where the, the the whole industry of CGI additions. If you watch some uh, films <laughs> now, you'll see how they've added like the tops of buildings or kind of like fields. <laughs> they they add it into films. It all came from adding in the top of Bruce's head. The famous 1988 CGI. Yeah. <laughs> but um, behind Bruce Willis is a screwdriver so taped to a piece of cardboard to prop him up. <laughs> because the thing kept falling down. But I think that's a reasonable attempt myself. That's pretty good. It's yeah. pretty good. And we'll do the usual. We'll put the poll up. But, um, Lee, do you have a particular favourite at the minute? Or are you going to sit on the fence? I'm going to sit on the fence for now. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting there thinking, ah, oh, mine would have been so, so, so good. But uh, as usual, what we'll do is put that up on Twitter. I'll put the link to the poll in the show notes. It'll run for a week, and then the next episode we'll come back and see who's won. I think it's going to be a close call. Yeah. There's not much in it, I don't think, this week. Yeah, um, but, you know, hopefully teddy bears. Teddy bears. Everybody loves a teddy bear. Yeah. Just, you know. Teddy bear, teddy bear, teddy bear in a Santa hat as well. That's, that's like yeah. classing it up a bit. There. <laughs> Photoshopped in had because his head is massive. <laughs> it's like what you can't tell in that picture is that that that, that bear's head is probably about two feet wide because <laughs> um, he's huge. He's absolutely huge. He's, he's literally human sized, um, which is why he's wearing like a large t-shirt. Now I want a remake of Die Hard where all the terrorists are replaced with six foot tall teddy bears. <laughs> It's not one of those teddy bears with the abnormally long legs, is it, Keith? Yeah. No, he's, his body's massive and his head's massive, but his arms and legs are quite short. Okay. Um, so he's, he's very he's, he's not he's not anatomically correct, <laughs> um, which I wish I had not said now. <laughs> Can you imagine? Could you imagine a diehard where Bruce Willis is the only human and the rest of the cast are replaced by teddy bears or yeah. Muppets? <laughs> We had the Happy Time Murders that proved that concept didn't work. <laughs> didn't he try that by doing the animated film Over the Hedge? Oh, I'd excise that from my mind, Keith. <laughs> but talking of films, we thought as we're coming getting close to the Christmas period, we'd uh, we'd select some of our favourite Christmas or Christmas time themed movies to share, and hopefully that you'll enjoy them too. Maybe something that you've never watched before. Maybe a Christmas classic. Maybe it's a favourite. So, uh, kick us off, Lee. What's your favourite Christmas period movie? When we were discussing this, there was a sort of back and forth about, like, oh, you know, a film that we could watch at Christmas time that's a non-Christmas movie. But I'm like, the movies that I explicitly watch at Christmas are all Christmas movies. You know, stuff like Muppet Christmas Carol and Home Alone are always kind of on rotation every Christmas for me. But my favourite is Scrooged. Spend the holidays with Bill Murray. Watch out. As he learns the true meaning of Christmas. Thanks, boys. Get the nurse. Whether he likes it. I'm the ghost of Christmas present. Or not. <laughs> See Bill Murray get screwed. The Bill Murray classic. Ah, good choice, good choice. Yeah. Excellent choice. I'm, I'm a Bill Murray fan anyway, because, I mean, who isn't? But, um... It's just, I just really like that take on A Christmas Carol because he's, you know, an 80s TV executive. They're, they're actively putting on like a production of A Christmas Carol at the same time that everything's going down and just how weird and dark it goes. 
So you've got like the chain smoking taxi driver as the ghost of Christmas present, and you've got uh, just the really just messed up Christmas future sequences where everything's all the sets are just elongated for years, and just nothing looks real in those sections. And the and the ghost himself seems to be made out of TVs and demons in equal measure. But it, it is just because it's it's just such a good Bill Murray movie, and. He's basically playing the character that he always plays in every movie, which is just a sarcastic cynic. But it works really well. Always enjoy seeing that movie every single year. Yeah, I mean, it's a vehicle that's mainly carried by Bill Murray. But mm-hmm. the supporting cast, otherwise, well, not quite well known today, are all fantastic, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, The Ghost of Christmas Past with his taxi from hell mm-hmm. is one of my all-time <laughs> favourite scenes in a movie when he's just driving around. And they That's the lead singer from the New York Dolls as well. Yeah, David Johansson. Carol Kane as well as the Ghost of Christmas Present. Mm-hmm. I, love, yes. I love the fact that in his office it's one of the best quotes in a film that it's got, in his office it's got cross, something you nail people to. <laughs> uh, the background of his office is really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a great, great film. And yeah. I do love it. So I, I, I saw it a few, a few years back at a midnight screening on Christmas Eve at the Dudley Showcase. Um, and people actually got up and sung at the end. You've got the Annie Lennox and Al Green um, song mm-hmm. at the end of the film. And people were singing along, you know, when because he, he says, like, let's have the girls sing, let's mm-hmm. have the men sing, now the real men. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a great interactive movie. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of my favourite Christmas experiences. That. I love the effects in it at the time as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of those films where you weren't expecting those kind of effects mm-hmm. at the time. It's like the stuff with all the TVs and the yeah. Ghost of the Christmas Futures inside of his coat. Yeah. I always love that bit. I think the first time I watched that movie, I was quite young, so the Ghost of Christmas Future just terrified me. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's supposed to in all versions of Christmas Carol, but that one especially is just... Yeah. And it's just, again, it is just the, the sets that you the set design in that sequence as well because nothing looks real everything looks kind of dreamlike and mm-hmm. just just weird and off in in ways yeah. so it, i just think that just added to that atmosphere of that whole sequence yeah bobcat goldthwaite's really good in it as well mm-hmm. yeah uh, he plays the, the, the guy he fires yeah and i think i've got a i've got a soundtrack album by danny alfman who does the music for Scrooge? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got some of the original music cues in there because because it was going to be much much darker than the film mm-hmm. we got. The music cues he wrote for it were like really kind of like dark, and it's like mm-hmm. it's a great soundtrack um, for Scrooge as well. It's one of those films that probably turns up late at night, mm-hmm. but it's it's not exactly one of the more family friendly Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've, w- I've probably watched that the first time I was about twelve because my nan was like a massive horror fan. And she yeah. put the most inappropriate movies when she was growing up. <laughs> so I think I, I saw Critters when I was about eight because she thought I, I, I may have even I may have been even younger than twelve when I first saw it. So you know, yeah. it has its moments. It definitely has some scary yeah. moments in there. Really good choice, Luke. Yeah. Keith, what was your pick for favorite Christmas movie? You see, this is one of those things that is extremely difficult. It's like asking who's your favorite child because mm-hmm. there are so many great Christmas-based movies. Yeah, and what I found myself discovering was, outside of Muppets Christmas Carol, most of my favourite Christmas movies are kind of slightly horror based. I was looking at things like Krampus, which is a, is a great kind of horror mm. flick. There's another mm-hmm. film called Rare Exports, uh, A Christmas Story, which is, I think is Norwegian in origin, which again is a slightly horrific take on the Christmas 
uh, one. But the film I come back to time and time again because a it's very Christmassy, but also quite not not as horrific now as it was was back then. And I come back to it every time because I love the opening song, Darlene Love singing "It's Christmas." Um, so I got I've, I've decided I've, I'm going to pick Gremlins. What is it? It's your new dip. <laughs> Number one, you gotta keep him out of bright light. Number two, keep him away from water. This is incredible. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. Billy, what are these things? Gremlins. How come a cute little guy like this can turn into a thousand ugly monsters? That was Mrs. Deagle. I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one. They might even replace the dog as the family pet. From the Amblin studio, which is just... Great. It starts with, it's got snow, it's got snow plows, it's got Christmas presents, uh, and then Christmas presents who end up terrorizing the town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rocking Ricky Rialto on the, um, on yeah. the radio. Yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the Corys is in there somewhere. The world's uh, fastest stairlift. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, you know, but, you know, she deserves it. Mrs. Deagle deserves everything she gets. Yeah. Uh, and the gremlins as puppets. You know, I could never, ever see them reproducing gremlins in any other way than a bunch of on-set puppets. Yeah, and mm-hmm. wasn't it used on the same set as Back to the Future as well, the town? The the uh, the basic town set is is the Back to the Future um, Hill Valley set redressed. Yeah. Um, but and as well, it came out in 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 the winter of 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the UK, it came out I think pretty much in the same week as Ghostbusters. Um. Which kind of almost again is is a is a Christmassy film because yeah. I remember seeing it many many times at mm. Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but I always just preferred the slightly darker tone to Gremlins. You know, mm. Phoebe Cates is in it as well, but that's nothing to do with any of the reasons why. <laughs> in 1984, when I was 16, I I liked that movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'd be Fast Times at Richmond High if you were just bringing the Phoebe Cates yeah. to it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Billy Peltzer drives a Beetle. Uh, yeah. Gizmo is great. He watches. Invasion of the Body Snatchers at night. He sees, he meets Chuck Jones in the pub. He draws comics. It's like when I was 16, it was like, I am Billy Peltzer. I'm not <laughs> as cool as Billy Peltzer. And, you know, I haven't got a cute Magwai for a pet. Yeah. Um, but it hit every kind of like, you know, uh, teenage dream that I was thinking, this is like small town America. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was just a, it was a, one of those, one of those movies that I've just, Come back to time and time, time and time again. It's a great excuse for mayhem as well. A town, small town America at Christmas. There's yeah. always something weird going on in a small town America at Christmas. Yeah. There's always something weird going on in an American small town. Full <laughs> stop. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> it's always kind of like they are always some of the greatest places to set stuff because everything always looks slightly off and slightly kitschy. It's like even stuff like Doc Hollywood. Just there's always an aura that something's not quite right. 
that these people are like living in this tiny town and never escaping out of it. And that's been repeated so many times, but I think Bremner's does that very well. And the animatronics, as you mentioned, Keith, the puppets, puppetry is amazing in that. The way they dispatch them as well. You know, that, that you know, a lot of, you know, microwaving them, sticking them in a blender. Yeah. But I think that's part of the director, Joe Dante, had done a lot of kind of like films that were, that were, that were really kind of on the edge. But I, and I, I'm kind of, it's convinced me that all the Amblin films are in a shared universe so that Gremlins is in the same world as Back to the Future, as The Explorers, as Indiana Jones, as E.T. So they're all part of the same world. So I can totally buy into that whole yeah. Um, Amblin world but yeah so it's a great movie great soundtrack as well Goldsmith's so, Gremlin's Rag is brilliant so isn't it Chris Columbus who wrote the script uh, I believe so yeah he yes. does a lot of those kind of well, we followed it up with Home Alone so that kind of mayhem still carries mm-hmm. through through mm-hmm. his films yeah. but definitely good definitely a good shout Side note on that, I've got the Wikipedia page up on it, and it says written by Chris Columbus based on Gremlin folklore. Oh. <laughs> That's literally what it says. Isn't it? <laughs> well, it is okay. that it is that thing, isn't it? It's because it, I think I think there is Elf, which is the Bugs Bunny cartoon where they have gremlins, mm-hmm. and then Mr. Futterman, who's played by the amazing Dick Miller, mm-hmm. uh, complains about the gremlins in the engines when he was in WWII, as he calls it. <laughs> about, referring right. back to that um, classic episode with uh, William Shatner. Yeah, terror at twenty thousand feet. Because that was a gremlin originally, wasn't it? Yeah, it's. I think it's still technically a gremlin yeah. uh, on the wings. Yeah, but it's just it's just a great, it's just a great. It's fun, but it's got heart. Yeah, um, which is what a lot of those ambling ambling films have got. Yeah, it's it's a film that we describe nowadays as mild peril. <laughs> <laughs> Which they seem to use a lot now. It's like some mild, it, it, mild peril. <laughs> and it does have comic mischief as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't beat a bit of comic mischief. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure it'll be on at least once or twice over Christmas. I think if IT, ITV have the rights, it'll be on ITV4, then ITV3, then ITV2, then ITV1 <laughs> on successive evenings. <laughs> See, now I had two choices and I was 50 50 on both of my choices. One which isn't a Christmas film, but it always reminds me of Christmas because it's the first time I saw it and I, it was one of those films that was on quite a lot of Christmas. It's the 1983 British science fantasy film. Keith, can you guess which one it is? Not 1983 British. Uh, well, it's either going to be Hawk the Slayer no. or Crawl. Uh, Crawl. It's Crawl. On a distant planet. A great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future to conquer the universe. Now, the only survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king. They will hold her in the Black Fortress. You must have help. Thieves, bandits, fighters and brawlers Desperate men Those are the kind of men I need Well you heard him We are now an army (laughs) At the end of an impossible journey They must fight an invincible enemy Here's the knowledge you seek I shall be your king In the fortress you will face more than the slayers what is about to happen to them could never have happened on Earth. 
Columbia Pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before. Crawl. Early, early appearances from Robbie Coltrane and uh, good old Qui-Gon Jinn himself, Neon Neeson. I do believe Todd Carty. Todd Carty. Grand Chill fame is also yes. in that movie. And Bernard Breslau out of the Carry On movies. And Lizette Anthony, I yep. believe, is the um, female lead. Yes. Yeah, what? The Crystal Spider is in that one as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It and is. The Glaive. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't do very well. It's probably a bit of what's known as a cult classic nowadays. It never did very well on release, but it's one of those films that was always on telly around Christmas time. And it was it's a great science fantasy adventure. I think it's like looking from, back from it now, probably um, The NeverEnding Story got a bit of inspiration from it in the shooting style and the storyline. It's kind of trippy in places as yeah. well. Yeah, um, it's very, very dark as well, which I wasn't expecting as a small child sat in front of the telly box. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it goes slightly beyond mild peril for quite a lot of the cast. <laughs> I think I've got. Well, I think I saw that at the cinema when it came out. So I think stashed away somewhere, I've got one of the um, like gatefold yeah. um, programs that they they used to put out at cinemas, which had got some photographs from it. Yeah, because but... the beast, the beast is the villain, and that's quite a horrific. Um, looking creature actually yes and they don't actually ever show him properly on screen he's always like wibbly wobbly or yeah. just a partial head or in shadow shot and just i think that was more to uh cope for possibly the adam the uh the quality of the suit maybe <laughs> <laughs> but um it's it's a great science fantasy film really worth watching if you've never watched it it's kind of like in that late or oh, early 80s sci-fi kind of like labyrinth and um, Dragon Slayer and Legend, those kind of fantasy films, it slots in probably more with those kind of stuff. So it's science fantasy, I'd say, rather than science fiction or fully fantasy. Yeah, because yeah, it's set on a different planet, isn't it? Yeah, and there's spaceships in it, which yeah. you can't really get away with in a fantasy setting as much. <laughs> yeah, the kind of monster stormtrooper designs are quite good as well. They're basically yeah. stormtroopers, aren't they? But um, yeah, their their designs are quite cool. Yeah, and it's got the coolest weapon weapon in all of history, which is a boomerang with bits of knives stuck on the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> which sounds awful until it automatically returns to someone's hand, and they do it quite well in that. Yeah. But, but my other choice for Christmas movie, which is an actual Christmas movie, one I'm trying to make a point out of going to see it at the cinema when it is out, is the beautiful all-time classic. Any guesses? It's going to be It's a Wonderful Life, isn't it's it? It's going to be It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart. Well, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. What is it you want, Mary? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Welcome home, Mr. Bailey. Sentimental hogwash. I wish I had a million dollars. Mr. and Mrs. Martini, welcome home. This is what I wished for. You see, George, you really had a wonderful life.
Stewart playing himself at the age of 20, 18 <laughs> and looking exactly the same as he is at the age of 50. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, the colorized version, I hope. Right? No, no, no. No, black and white, purest black and white version. But um, it is such a feel-good movie, which mm-hmm. is really odd to say it's a feel-good movie because he, the character goes through pretty much hell on the way to there. And for a Christmas movie which has an attempted suicide as its main kickoff plot point. Yeah. Yeah. It gets quite dark in Act 2 and then yeah. it's like the whole reveal of how important he actually is to the town and the community and the world around him. And it mm-hmm. is it's just got such a great heart to it. And Clarence the angel or the training angel such a wonderful character. I think every single person in that well every single part of the movie just Gives me a bit of warmth at the end of it. Mm. It does give you a few sucker punches along the way. But I think that's why it sort of holds up as a classic because, you know, it's got all that darkness to it, but then it builds up to like him finding that will to carry on and realizing his, his importance. And yeah. it's such a strong message that sort of says, you know, it doesn't matter sort of how tough things get. There's always something, you know, yeah. that, that's worth kind of sticking with. And there's always someone who's got your back and that kind of thing. And that, I yeah. think that's why it's kind of resonating and why it's such a good Christmas movie as well, because it's that's got... the sort of message that you want at Christmas, really. Yeah, it's kind of like an opposite version of the Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas mm. Carol everybody's happy with Scrooge not around whereas in this mm. one everybody's unhappier when the main character's not there. I think the first time I watched it I was about 13 14 and going through quite a rough patch and then mm. watching that cheered me up because it was kind of like everybody has some worth, everybody has a bit of purpose in life. I mean I will say that there is one aspect of it that is, is dated poorly and that's the fact that like without him around his wife is <gasps> a spinster. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's kind of like um, okay that seems yeah. a bit <laughs> Very, that's very funny. Yeah. It is funny as well, Ryan, that you picked that and that based that film and the town of Bedford Falls sets the template for Kingston Falls in Gremlins yeah. for Back to the Future for Hill Valley. Yeah. It's like that 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 small town America is basically Bedford Falls is the um yeah. is the thing. I always used to love there was a show called Thirty Something that ran in the kind of early nineties and it was made by a production company called Bedford Falls and they use that little bit of, of when they sing by the light of the silvery moon at the end as well. And that yeah. always was like oh, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> The town itself is such a great character in that, as you mentioned. I think yeah. the whole the setting of it and that whole sort of really close knit community, everybody knows everybody else's name. And it kind of harks back kind of like nostalgia for a time that I never lived through kind of with mm-hmm. that small town and everybody was your friend and everybody knew who you were and how you grew up what you did at college, if it was on the base, if it was on the football team, where you'd be. I will say that my experience growing up in a small town does not reflect <laughs> the, uh, the romantic ideal presented in that movie. Yeah. Well, more specifically, a tiny, a tiny village, but, you know, obviously that's UK versus America, but I can't imagine that American small towns are yeah. quite as uh, idyllic as that one. But The weirdness is this film only got, it flopped. It was an absolute bomb on release, which was mm. the thing. Somebody found a loophole where you basically air it on network TV I think it was network or cable TV in the US for free due to mm-hmm. like the licensing right so basically they slapped it on every Christmas on repeat multiple times and that's where it kind of garnered its cult following and then it's kind of led to a big resurgence and revival in the film pretty much every genre show ever since has done it's it's a wonderful life episode definitely you know yeah. the likes of Supernatural have done it I mean literally riffed on the exact thing I mean they even called the angel they've got in the show as a nickname Clarence you know that's how influential this film has been on on kind of popular culture I'm sure there's been at least 
least a couple of Star Trek episodes where there's a tri- triple <laughs> thing where it's like, oh, like, because you weren't there, this happened, and then this person died. Yeah. And it's it, a trope. It's definitely a trope, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does not seem to go onto the TV tropes website. We don't want to lose all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's three. That's that's three extremely good Christmas movies. Yeah, uh, if you've never seen any of them before, I think so, what surprises me is how long it's a, it's a Wonderful Life is. It's actually quite oh, long. Yeah, oh, yeah, massive oh, yeah. Of time. You always forget there's pretty much like forty five minutes before the film actually gets going. Yeah, where you yeah. like you find out George Bailey's backstory and it's establishing the town, it's establishing all of the characters, and I think yeah. that's again one of the joys of the movie is you actually get to learn about the characters before anything yeah. major happens in the turn in the plot. And I think that's something a lot of films miss nowadays, where you don't have the explanation of the character. I think it also also kind of helps that you've got James Stewart as the lead actor as well, because you know, he he was an incredibly charming actor, so you immediately kind of just warm to him as a character, just because it's it's him. And I also love the fact that it's a film that everybody feels afraid to remake. Most people would have had been at least two or three remakes of this by now, in most American culture, so just recycle the plot, but I think it's it's great to not we can have a homage, but it's great not to have it remade with like Dwayne the Rock Johnson playing Jimmy <laughs> George Bailey. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Just pick somebody completely inappropriate. I mean, um, I mean, Dwayne Johnson's kind of charming as well, so you know he, he fits that sort of in say, a different way. But you know, I'd say ten years ago, probably Tom Hanks is probably the only person in Hollywood who could get away with replacing yeah. Jimmy Stewart. I mean, he did play um, Mr. Rogers. Yeah. 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 I think talking to Tom Hanks is that, that, that a lot of Pixar movies run the template that It's a Wonderful Life has got. Mm-hmm. Kind of setting things up and, and doing all the rest of it. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pixar movies have a lot of that Frank Capra mm-hmm. appeal. Yeah, and notice it as well with um, lots of Studio Ghibli movies have a similar kind of let you breathe, let you bed in with the characters before Spirited Away probably has that for the first 20 minutes. Oh yeah, Spirited Away takes forever to get going, but it's good. Yeah, and I think that's the joy of letting films breathe. And I'd say that's the same a bit with Scrooge as well, where you do get a bit of time with Bill Murray and you learn about how awful he is as a person before. Yeah, yeah. It's basically Groundhog Day, the Christmas Carol edition. Yeah, it is. Really. <laughs> it's why I'm like, he's basically the same character he is in every movie, but it's like, <laughs> in, that, in that one. Because even like, in his serious roles though, he's still kind of the same character. It just, just, just Yeah, just in Lost in Translation, he's just Bill Murray, but miserable. <laughs> so, but yeah. I've just had a look now, you've, now we've talked about this, because I, I still watch 20-year-old DVD that I've got. It was one of the first DVDs I bought when, when DVDs were out. But I'm just having a look at it. It's a digital version with 4K. There's a 4K version of um, It's a Wonderful Life, which is, yeah. which is good. comes with the colorized version as well, which I won't touch because yeah. that's just a crime against film. <laughs> um, but I, I might I might, I might, might treat myself to a Christmas upgrade. Yeah, my on, lovely wife bought the... it on Blu-ray for me a long nice. time ago. But um, we'd normally go and watch it at the cinema. So the Electric Cinema in Birmingham would have usually had at least two or three screenings on. But unfortunately, with the way the world is, we won't be going to do that this year. So it might just be a cuddle up on the sofa and feel really sorry for ourselves for two hours and then have a really happy ten minutes at the end.
Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my games of the week. And it is the last one of the year, with my final two picks for Game of the Week. Last week, Game of the Week was Empire of Sin, from legendary developers Brenda and John Romero. It is a crime syndicate management game, and I'm absolutely here for that concept. It's 1920s Chicago, and you're a mob boss. Go do crimes and get paid. That's it. There are multiple layers of management in this game, from XCOM-style combat to tycoon-style property management, making this a pretty ambitious sim. And with a range of real-life mob bosses to choose from, including Al Capone himself, there are a number of ways to live out your crime lord fantasies. It looks like a lot of fun, if a little rough around the edges at the moment, and it's definitely caught my attention. And this week, uh, fine. Cyberpunk 2077 is Game of the Week. Largely because I know that if I gave it to anything else, people would get mad. Plus, if nothing else, this is a significant way to acknowledge that, yes, it's actually out. I know, I'm struggling to believe that too. You know what this one is, based on the tabletop RPG from the folks who made The Witcher, starring Keanu Reeves. It's been attracting a bit of criticism for its bugs in a concerning scene that's been allegedly causing epileptic fits, but underneath all that, it appears to be exactly the game everyone was expecting. A vast, open-world RPG set in a neon-drenched dystopia with far too much to do and a whole lot of people to meet. It's arguably the biggest game of the year, both in size and scope, and also in terms of hype, so it only seems reasonable to award it the final game of the week for 2020. But you don't care, you're probably already playing it. Both of these games can be played on PC, PS4, and Xbox One, but uh, Empire of Sin can also be played on Switch. And with that, let's get back to the main show. Um, Swapping over to more audio, time to pick our favourite Christmas songs as well. I'm going to be nasty and I'm going to go first, just in case anybody else has this one. Which <laughs> is, it's also film related actually, but it's Christmas time is here. Which, oh, which good is choice. Vince Guaraldo Trio. It's such such a great song. 1965, I think it came out. Charlie Brown Christmas. Sounds right. Sounds yeah. right. But, um, it's been covered time and time again. But it's a great little jazzy Christmas number, and it always just gets me in the mood for Christmas. <laughs> and to think that a song that came out in 1965 still stacks up to this day, where we have millions upon millions of rubbish Christmas songs coming out every year. It's, it's always a favourite. It's one of those that fears on a lot of melodies. And it just reminds me of Charlie Brown Christmas, which again is a miserable film until the very end. <laughs> 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 Seems to be a theme with my film choices here. They're very miserable <laughs> until the last ten minutes. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you appreciate it, then you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of kicked off Peanuts TV series with the how successful the film was, which means it's given a lot to that. And I think this song is pretty much the heart of that film. Mm-hmm. It just, I love it, and I love the soundtrack to that show. And Christmas Time is here is one of my all-time favorite ones. It's just gets me in the Christmassy mood. Having that little bit of jazz. Good choice. Yeah, so I'll hand over to you two now. Well, I mean, in terms of like Christmas music, in terms of like lesser known Christmas music that I always love listening to, there's an album that came out ten, roughly 10 years ago uh, by the band The Boy Least Likely To. It is literally called The Christmas Special. And they made an entire little Christmas album. So The Boy Least Likely To are this sort of, they refer to themselves as twee pop. So a lot of their instruments, they use a lot of toy instruments and very, you know, they use a lot of xylophones and recorders and all these sorts of, they sound very childlike as a result. And they made this whole Christmas album and a lot of it is like original songs that they've written, all sorts of different ones on there. So you've got like 
Happy Christmas Baby, which is pretty much your, your traditional Christmas song. So it's very much in the vein of like your, your Wizard and your Slade type songs, your Mariah Carey, you know, that's a big party anthem. But it's so it's for them, it's like really lo-fi, but it's still got that same vibe to it but it just it feels a bit more kind of homely because of the kind of production on it there's a song called christmas isn't christmas which is kind of your like lonely lonely at christmas type song which has the really great line i'll just have a pizza with a bit of holly stuck in it as it's christmas dinner (laughs) but i think the best song on this album is a track called george and andrew which is about two old friends who've been friends since the 80s meeting up in a pub every Christmas and it is in fact the George and Andrew that you might be thinking of who have made their own Christmas song in the 80s it's uh, basically and it talks about like it's basically George Michael and Andrew Ridgely and it talks about like how George Michael had all this backlash to one of the songs because at the time it was written I think it was like his anti-Bush song or something like that mm-hmm. it mentioned that and, and Andrew Ridgely is just like oh yeah well it's, it's like when I tried to promote Real Ale and all the rest of it and they were just having this, <laughs> this, this little discussion it's, it's this kind of really sweet little song mm-hmm. about getting together with friends at Christmas and, and yeah. all that sort of companionship but through the lens of wham <laughs> yeah. and it, even like the music they tried to sort of musically reference last christmas a little bit in there so there's a there's a synthesizer going on there in the drum machine yeah. again it's very lo-fi and but like those three songs i always always listen to them really sounds very interesting yeah a lot of their songs are like very kind of like i said very childlike and you know have all these toy instruments but like the singer's singing about his existential dread and how miserable he is <laughs> and, all this kind of stuff. and how how nervous he is at times and also it's such a it's a really fun contrast to listen to them so yeah yeah that sounds cool i i grew up in the during the period of peak christmas cheese <laughs> um so i have very fond memories of lots of really cheesy is it, christmas songs. is it going to be slayed it's going to be slayed no, <laughs> I, I, just, I just want to mention the fact that i did i did like things like you know wombling merry christmas the uh the goodies christmas song um mm. But also, as, at the same time as having that and the Wizards and the Slades and whatever it is, we also had a lot of the older kind of stuff. So I do have a lot of affection for the kind of Bing Crosby's, Nat King Cole's, um, you know, all of those kind of songs as well, the classics. Um, and then kind of some of the early 80s stuff, which was really good. So kind of, you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood was robbed, but they didn't get Christmas number one with Power of Love, which is a great song. Um, <laughs> And then kind of like, I think it went off the boil for a few years. We didn't get proper Christmas songs. We got, I would. we got Mr. Blobby at Christmas number one, if I yeah. remember. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really um, truck with that as a Christmas song. Um, so I'm coming a bit further forward. So I do like Christmas songs that are properly Christmassy. So I will give kudos to The Darkness, regardless of what other people thought mm. of The Darkness at the time. When they did a Christmas song, they did it proper. They uh, had sleigh bells in and they had kids singing. It was still The Darkness, though. That's my problem. <laughs> I remember at the time... People were saying, it's like, oh, they'll just get Christmas number one next year. They'll just get Christmas number one next year. Not knowing the bland would pretty much implode within six <laughs> months of Superstardom. When it comes down to it, there's two There's two bands. One one was the Killers, who over a period of about eight, nine years, did a Christmas song every year in, in um, support of Red. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favourite of all of those was the, the first one. They did a song called uh, A Great Big Sled, which featured Tony Halliday, uh, on backing vocals, great song, brilliant song, all about Christmas, absolutely fantastic. 
a lot of these songs that they did as follow-ups was also really good. They brought other people in. They had like Neil Tennant. Um, yeah, the, I was going to say my favourite of those is uh, Joseph Better Than You Than Me. It's got Elton John and Neil Tennant on it. Yeah. I do quite like the Happy Birthday Guadalupe as well, which has got the Mexican I do, tunes, Yeah, I really do like Happy Birthday Which is really good. Yeah. Um, but when it comes down to my favourite Christmas song, I'm going to pick one which came out around the same time as The Killers, and it's by a band I, I like a lot. Uh, features a guest vocal appearance, not singing, of course. Uh, Les Dennis makes an appearance, <laughs> appearance in the video. But I'm going to pick as my favourite Christmas song, Is This Christmas by The Wombats, which is, is, is a song where the lyrics are basically everybody's childhood Christmas. Um, if you kind of a child of the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, it's it's kind of funny, but it's kind of upbeat, and it's kind of melancholy, but it's also kind of happy, and it's kind of like nostalgic, but also um, kind of like about the now. Um, but it's a great little song, it kind of fits into that whole kind of like um, classic Christmas song vibe. And I don't know, I don't think many people heard it. I don't think it was particularly um, popular um, at the time. I um, do know this one, and I do I do agree with you. It is a great, it's a great, it's a great song. tune. It's one I, when it comes on. I mean, it is on my playlist, my, Christmas, my ultimate Christmas playlist, slotted somewhere in between Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole. <laughs> um, but it changes the vibe, and I do. I, it's just a great kind of song. It's just, um, every, I, I know the lyrics, I know the words, I sing along. You know, when, when I have Dad's disco in the kitchen, when I'm doing the washing <laughs> up around Christmas, it's like the ultimate playlist is on, and it's a, great, it's a great one to sing along to. Interesting couple of picks there. I think I went with the most, like, close one <laughs> to a traditional Christmas single, the jazzy classic. It's a good, it's a good tune though. Yeah, mm. you can't deny that it's a great record. Yeah. So, so just to recap, I went with the Vince Garolo trio and Christmas times. Yeah. I went with um, the Boilies Likely Two and the Christmas Special album they released ten years ago. And Keith. And I went with the Wombats. Is this Christmas featuring Les Dennis? <laughs> well, it could have been to me to you with Tiny <laughs> Tim from the Triple Wizards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Geeky Me show this week. Keith, where can we find you online? My regular um, spot is hardluck underscore hotel on Twitter, uh, which occasionally might have something I compose myself, um, but generally that's attached to a quote tweet for something from Geeky Brummy. Um, otherwise, it's just retweets of, of my partner's work or the works of Geeky Brummy or the works of, of, of Lee or anything Matt's doing. I basically just retweet my friends uh, on, on on my own personal uh, bit. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram taking uh, arty, uh, supposedly arty photos. And that's just hard look hotel without the underscore. Lee, where can we find you across your multiple channels? Uh, you can find me on uh, YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where currently I'm putting together the advent calendar of Xbox Game Pass games I've not played. You can also get updates on that channel on Twitter at Bob the Pet Ferret, and you can find me tweeting more generally at The Cheap Ferret. All of that supported by Patreon, Bob the Pet Ferret, and all that. So cool. there you go. And you can find me at Ryan Parrish for the normal Twitter stuff when I actually remember to log into that one. Uh, probably the one which is currently playing MasterChef Bingo as we're in the semi-finals. So the first first week of MasterChef Bingo has been completed by the time this goes out. I'll be on to the second week. It's always good fun. So if you've got time on Twitter, jump in on that one and you have any interest on MasterChef. But you can find us all, of course, at geekybrummy.com. On Wednesdays, Keith has his comics roundup with the finest purchases for your long box. On Fridays, Lee has his gaming roundup along with Matt, who talks esports. And don't forget our YouTube channel at the moment, youtube.com forward slash geekybrewery, where we're opening advent calendars and trying to keep our sanity for 24 days. 
It's going well so far. We haven't we haven't quite lost the plot yet. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. But for now, goodbye everybody. Bye. Bye bye.